Welcome to Taco Tuesday with Chance Garden. This is Christopher Gardner, host of the BioCharisma podcast. Uh, Chance and I did a swap cast. He's been the best airport Uber driver I've ever experienced. Catch this. You get, you get a meal, you get good company, you get philosophy, you get to stay in his climbs and then go to the airport he, if you leave anything at his house, he will bring it to you. Um, and then he'll pick you up from the airport, drive you all the way to your place. And for the, for the price of free. And I'm, I'm amazed. Like, I don't know how he stays in business, but if, if he was on an app, I would vote for him like bar none as the best Uber driver I've ever had. Um, I have to tell you, uh, this podcast is the, that introduction is just in jest, just because um, the whole flavor of the conversation that that Chance and I had was in that vein. Um, I really, I've I've appreciated Chance since the first time I heard his podcast about two years ago, and uh, he inspired me to start the podcast over again. I was like, man, he's really has excellent topics. And he's a pretty deep fellow and, um, you know, he, he addresses his blind spots. He works on himself, all the good stuff. So I was just like, I reached out to him, I think a little over a year ago. And ever since then, uh, we've made fast friends. He's part of the, the Missouri recruiting, um, apparatus that brought me and my family to Missouri. So uh, I'm making a joke about that. He didn't recruit us to come here. I was just like, oh, the, the more we get to be close to like really cool people like Chance and now his now wife, Jenny, the better. So it's all good. Uh, we introduced the whole notion of the taco. I actually introduced it to him because it was something in my ashram days that we would bring up. And it's relevant because um, a lot of our conversations as of late have been about the psychosomatics of, you know, demon possession, of uh, the psychosomatics of hidden trauma and action at a distance. So it's, um, it's something that does happen. We are in our mind. Our mind isn't in us. And a lot of times the aspects of our mind that don't want to be annihilated um, through objective observation, um, when you're about to come to a realization, when you're about to come to an epiphany that might annihilate that aspect of your consciousness, weird stuff happens. And it, it appears that it's outside of you, but it is not. And we call that a taco. So Chance and I get into that. And uh, that's what I'm going to call this podcast, Taco Tuesday with Chance Garten. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think we're going to, I think we're going to tidy up this whole psychotherapy, uh, conversation in a week or so. And I'll put that podcast out for the holidays just because it is very, very, um, necessary, especially when dealing with a lot of people that are under the entrainment umbrella, which are more than you think. And, uh, that should help everybody get to a place of of really owning the, your the, your own internal and now we know external um, state of being. 
So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side. Charisma podcast with fresh tea, Negro Domus. Oh, look at the props. Check this out. I just want this in the room. Look at that, y'all. What is this? Red quartz. So it's quartz with iron druzy on the outside of it. Iron drizzle? My nizzle. Get some drizzle up in that mug. <laughs> some little iron oxide. Yeah, I, I love that piece we're using on the tuning table it reminds me it's the root chakra piece now Ooh. it kind of reminds me of like a hip bone yeah i don't know why i think that or a vag that too it's in the right <laughs> spot for that it's in the perfect spot for that, that. nice little perineal shot and got some celestite you know to help open up the gravy portal and this is to protect us from tacos awesome so we had a pre-production meeting. Oh, I didn't meeting. get the lighting on, though. Uh, oh, keep talking. Oh, you keep talking. A pre-production meeting for the BioCharisma podcast. We're talking about the dreaded taco. A taco is a, you could call it an etheric uh, sabotage. It's just right when the gravy is getting so thick, but your ladle is too small. <laughs> a taco will come in and completely thwart the efforts of your higher self to, to realize you. So everybody needs some good friends. Like I have Chance as a good friend to, to help with the, the taco meter. So if, if either of us- It's gonna be a serious taco if our knees are touching while we're trying to talk. That's hot. We were <laughs> discussing the bromance. Whenever you have Thor's tuning fork, I'm sorry, it's, it's just unbelievable. That just keeps going. It just keeps going. I barely hit it. That's a baby hit. That's so nice. Yeah, man. What frequency is this? 384. And what, what does that correspond to? It's a G note. Ooh, the fifth. Yeah, man. That's so nice. If I could only have one, now is the one. Yeah. You know, you get it. Yeah, yeah. Because all the other parts of the energy field can express through the throat. Definitely. But if you got a bottleneck, you're fucked. <laughs> Apparently, that's what makes you a manifester in the human design. Really? Is, your heart uh, is connected to your throat. That's the only prerequisite. Did you ever get into human design? Just enough to know I'm a manifesting generator. That's right, yo. You're, you're beneath me. That beneath makes, me. That makes no sense. How am I beneath <laughs> you? No, I'm kidding. No, I need as many manifesting generators in my life as possible as being a pure egoic manifester. Me and Jenny are both MGs. So you guys get a lot done then. Yeah, and it happens quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the time lag between having an idea to do something and actually doing it is really short. Yeah, manifesting generators to me, out of all those groups that I've ever seen in human design, 
as a, as a group gets the most done. Yeah. Cool. Generators will do more busy work, but manifesting generators just have this propensity, this, this ability to actually do work that more people are affected by. Does that make sense? Yeah, so is it also a thing where you don't waste effort so much? And I, what I, I mean by that is like, I'm really good at minimal input maximum effect. Um, that makes sense. Like I'm not someone that just agonizes over the details. I'm just like, I just make a decision and go for it. And, and you know, the quicker route, not necessarily, you know, lazy way, but I'm just curious if that is part of it. That may be more my Aryan nature. Yeah, I think that might be more of your, because I've been around a lot of manifesting generators that have tremendous influence but they're not efficient. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not efficient with all my time, but like on, the, on project, you know, I just make it happen quicker. Maybe on project. I mean, I, I have quite a few, to, like as a subsect to like actually look at. Cool. But you guys get a lot done. Us manifestors absolutely need manifesting generators because you're the only people that can really understand us and don't think that we're complete assholes. I'm having some dip. Oh shit! It's Calamus. Oh, you're gonna pour some tea for us. Yeah, I'm just letting it steep, get a lot of that blue lotus going. Ooh, tell, tell, the, tell the people what's in the tea. I've never had it before, so it could get weird. This is your Jim Jones tea? <laughs> <laughs> Drinking the Kool-Aid? <laughs> get, get a little weird in We here. talked about blue lotus on one of the episodes of Vibrant where Kyle and Michelle were breaking down herbs for uh -huh. astrology signs. Yes. And blue lotus is Supposed to like open you up to, I don't know, higher realms, something uh -huh. like that. It's supposed to enhance dreams and have you seen what it looks like? I have. Yeah. I have. So we talked about that. I'd never tried it. Yeah, you know, I think it's like borderline trippy, but I yeah. didn't put a shitload in there. Just... Have you ever drawn the uh, a Lotus Mandala? Drawn one? Yeah, because I've seen you're an artist. For those of you that don't know, this my guest today is Chance Garten. Oh, we're gonna enter introductions. <laughs> Chance is my man. He's part of the reason why I got back into podcasting. I started listening to you a little over two years ago now. And I didn't know I was part of the reason you got back into it. Well, I was just Flattery, so I, I was so impressed. I was just so impressed with one your content, but two, your production value. And you, you were able in multiple pod, pods to like actually follow a thread. You weren't like some people out there that are really popular where you would bounce. Hmm. Like you actually had a thread that you were following. I could feel the thread. <laughs> and so, yeah, man, I had I to- I wonder if that's a function of how I go about picking guests for the show. I don't seek them out. Mm -hmm. Only if I'm authentically on my own interested in the person mm -hmm. and investigating their work for my own reasons, will I go and ask somebody to come on? Other than that, it's like, sometimes it gets a little hairy, like I'm, the schedule is looking light. Yeah. You know, who's gonna be on next? But uh, it's a trust thing. Yeah. And I follow that, that's part of what gives me the thread. Yeah. In, in a way. And also I do, I guess, have a thread of like things I investigate that, and I try to bring it all together and make sense of it as a single, everything is everything soup. Uh -huh. But that's really the way that I operate, probably 
to some degree, like, slows the growth of the show compared to some people who go seek out mm-hmm. names to have on. Yeah. But, yeah, I just wait till it comes to me or I run into them in a synchronistic way. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's been an awesome part of the journey. Or too. you have somebody badgering you, say, hey, 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 you. Hey, you do a good job. Hey, hey, I want to talk to you. We were just talking about that earlier about, like, the different times of how how sliding into the DMs. <laughs> Apparently that's something he does. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of notorious now in the in the internet uh, pod community of like going in and just, I, I, I share my appreciation. That's good though, we're, yeah. just, we're just joking with you, man. No, no, I know, I know. I Trust me, there's nothing that I don't- Once I got to know you, it was a huge flattery that you were in, interested in my work or found it valuable because you have such a wide knowledge about well you just said it and i just picked up what it is that i actually like about you just now i i figured out what it is and it's trust Hmm. it's the trust because not many people really trust they talk about trust the trust is a is a nice like flowery new age thing to say but their actions don't actually show trust or faith Mm. Their actions are that of fear of like, I'm the one who's going to provide everything for me and I have to figure it out. And I can actually feel that vibe in you of like, no, you actually really do trust. And so there is this flow that comes with that. When you understand, when you're in jurisdiction with your creator and you understand that that's the provider, you're just kind of like directing where the provisions go man life opens up and i can yeah. I, I can feel that in your in in like even when you're getting in a dark hairy shit it doesn't matter because you trust there is trust and it comes through in the work that you do cool yeah i, I feel that i trust in a lot of ways i mean the entire the, my entire way of making a living is based on a bunch of random small income streams that may or may not come through for many months between payments. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, it always, you know, it, there's always enough. That's, if there is a mantra to live by, it's that there's always enough, there always will be enough. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not wasteful and self-sabotaging, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's funny is you can even be like that and you'll still have enough. Absolutely. <laughs> Life is not this game of, mathematical input and output Mm -hmm. where you have to correctly estimate the amount of resources you receive and the amount of resources you spend. I know that sounds crazy. And it's not like there's no value or wisdom in budgeting Mm -hmm. or or planning. I'm not saying that, especially if you have a clearly defined goal. But I'm talking about resources like air, food, water, Mm -hmm. shelter. Right. (laughs) There's... You're in, you're in your own mind right now, people. Like, mm-hmm. You're already in the most sheltered place you could be. Yes. And the most resourced, abundant, infinite place you could be. You're in your mind. Mm-hmm. Your body's in your mind. Your home is in your mind. Your environment is in your mind. So like, so get, in, get into about? that because when you say you're, you're in your mind, I know the majority of people think the, their mind is in them. Yeah, so, so So kind of... Back out a little bit. Give give a bird's eye view of, of what, what you mean when you say that. 
I gotta pour the tea first. Oh yeah, pour the tea. Get the blue lotus going. We're, we're <laughs> we gotta get, get it cooling off so we can actually start sipping if we want to go here. So Chance is the host of the Interverse podcast. He does Vibrance every Wednesday. He has Slick Dissident, who's you know essentially always into placentas. Get so dissident. He got Shout the got, got the homunculologist on the speed dial. <laughs> got all these all these folks that are you know. Very, I guess you would say, from my perspective, um, earnest in their pursuit of what truth is. I do my best. You know, the the ones that aren't honest and earnest, they reveal themselves eventually. And then, this is true. Then you stop seeing them on my stream. This is true. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a, totally a stable of legends that I'm able to call on for shows. I appreciate that. Oh, that's delicious. I like having a cast of characters, a recurring cast of characters. Yeah. You're one of them. You're a main one. Yeah. People celebrate whenever you come on. Except last time, nobody called in. Oh, yeah. I, I, w- I was totally shot down. I was like, oh, nobody loves me anymore. No, it's... I- I'm too diffuse. You mean, like, nobody joined us on screen? Yeah. Oh, uh... No, no, not joined on screen. You, you made a comment that nobody called in. You're uh, like, oh, usually people call in. Really? I made that comment? I don't know. It might have been with I Longo. Been, I haven't been, I think it must have been with Longo. Okay. I haven't been pushing uh, people to make voice messages or call in lately. Mm-hmm. I should though, that's a fun element. Yeah, so what was the question? We were talking about the body, the mind. You know, the minds. Like, so you said, we are in our mind, not the mind is in us. Please, yeah. please elaborate on that. Well, that's the simple, the simple truth is you're not, your mind is not in your body. Your body is in your mind. What is mind? It's the it's the floor. It's the ground. I mean, I mean that's what I think. I think like all philosophy or, or mysticism or cosmology, whatever, has got to be built on a foundation. Mm-hmm. And that foundation is beyond provability, usually, for most philosophies or most cosmologies. But as a, in my opinion, using mind as the ground for your philosophy, you know, well, to back up the statement, like the Big Bang, right? The ground of that philosophy is that, that initial moment of hyper compression of everything into a single point and then exploding outward, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, any, any philosophy requires like a belief that is the foundational belief and that everything else works off of that as an assumption. Mm-hmm. But your mind as a foundation, as a ground, is the only one that you can experientially prove to yourself with your own perception. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a safe bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's the, if it's the only one that you can functionally use as a ground as a, for a cosmology and philosophy, then it's probably the right one. So I... I because everything you experience through the interface of mind and like everything you know about your body, you experience through your mind. The, looking at your hand, look down at your knee, your legs. What, where are you seeing it? Where are you perceiving it? Where are you feeling it? It's in the mind. So even though we have our, our awareness is mostly centered from the head, you know, and it feels like the mind must be in the head somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. The mind is distributed throughout the entire field of 
not just your energy field, your aura, but the, <laughs> the entire field of the entire thing. Yes. And a way you can be aware of that is how your mind has an effect on what ripples go out and return to you in mm -hmm. the external world and the type of experiences and people that you receive. But that doesn't feel right to people that are in such a level of denial and, dis and distraction that they don't notice the resonance between inner world and outer world. Mm -hmm. And it's really probably like the most helpful switch you can do in life that will lead you to all kinds of other switches to, to realize that the outer world does not lead your inner world, no matter how much you want to pretend it does. Mm -hmm. Your inner world is directing the outer world. Mm -hmm. Always has been. And <laughs> I don't know, where do you want to go from there? So, so I had many years, and still to this day, I practice this, this practice that, for lack of a better term, <clears throat> or lack of a better descriptor, is known as Vedanta Advaita. It's like the non-dual non thought, or non-dual observation. That's a better way of saying it. And so in that, mind is seen as any activity. Like your mind is activity. That's what mind is. Hmm. And your sentience begets your awareness and your awareness is part of your mind. So sentience meaning feeling. Sentience is prior to that. Sentience is what allows that to be there. Sentience is, uh, f for all lack of, the, the way I experience it is like your tether to eternity it's like your 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 silver cord okay. your, your shashumna it's there and it's god-given it's not of your doing <laughs> like and when i'm getting into when i'm talking about mind i'm kind of oversimplifying a term that has nuance obviously yes which is why it's good that you're starting to get into more defined terms because when i say mind some people are going to think what i'm feeling some people are going to think what i'm thinking Right. Some people are going to think maybe something else entirely with mind. So, but, uh, so mind, like to simplify it from my perspective, mind is activity. And so there's an aspect of self that is non-active. It just is. And it's isness observes all these other things. Once it starts to observe, then it is in the realm of mind. Because that's an action. Yes. Okay, well, in, in terms of how you're describing that, I would go ahead and say the, uh, the isness is the ground more than mind. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the ground below, below mind itself. Mm -hmm. But in terms of... What's the deal with ISIS, by the way? Because I know you know all this stuff. It is, is, like... Is, is. Is, is. Like, what is ISIS? Like, what's the cosmology behind... That the being, cosmology behind ISIS? So what's the what's the story behind is is? Uh, ISIS. It's Jesus. Ah. It's Jesus without a J. Yeah, Yeshua ben Joseph. It's the, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Yahawashai? Whenever you see that that phonetic like Isa. Uh huh. That Isa. Isu. Is, Isa. Yeah. Isu. Esau. Esau. The guy with the hairy arms. Uh huh. With the evil brother. Yeah. I mean the grabbler brother, who is like held up to be the good guy. After he cheated his brother out of the inheritance. Terrible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the phonetics there. It's ISO, ISA, ISIS. You know, with the S at the end, that's really more of a Latinized termination. 
And mm. I, I doubt that whoever was living in Kemet at that time was probably using that, that name. In fact, there's really good reason to believe that we don't know shit about shit regarding ancient Egypt and that the Rosetta Stone, the, the magic key to the Egyptian hieroglyphs. Grant me one language. miracle. Yeah. <laughs> really good reason to believe that that's a forgery. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, you know, there's even reason to believe that the paintings on the tombs, the hieroglyphics themselves, were added at a much more recent date. Yeah. Not, not at the same time that those things were even built. So there's, yeah. there's tons of gravel in Egypt, but suffice to say, Isis is the mother who is her, who is her own son and marries her own son who becomes the father to her son and is her husband. The three in one. <laughs> so it, just she, like Jesus. The mother it's Eve, it's Jesus, it's it's all of that. Think about like other versions of the name. Eve means life. Mm-hmm. That's what isness is, mm-hmm. you know, existence. Existence. We're talking about what you're talking about. We're talking about what you're talking about. The that which is and is unchangeable and is beyond and before mm-hmm. the realm of activity and form and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like you know that's not the satisfactory answer if you wanted the mythology with Isis as a name of a character. Mm-hmm. But like the that that word is the Arabic name for Christ is Isa. Mm-hmm. The Norse pantheon, the top top gods of the Aesir. It's the same phonetic, mm-hmm. just with an R at the end. The Etruscan name for God was Iser, or similar to Aesir. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jesus, Yeshua, mm-hmm. Isaiah. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. There's tons of there's tons of examples of this, but you gotta be able to have the philological chops to see the way that this very same name. Is isness the is? <laughs> now speaking of philological chops, you have more patience with going through all these different languages and talking to other people like Dylan Sicoccio that just have like this un like dying ability to look at all these words and change syllables and like find find the throughput line and all of this stuff. I. I'm a retard. <laughs> so like w- like within a few minutes of you guys talking about that stuff, I literally uh, like, you know, Charlie Brown. I'm just here, wah, 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 wah. And it's not that I don't want to hear it. It breaks I, my heart, Topher. I actually feel like I have, uh, I, I don't know if I, if I ever told you this, but I got uh, clocked in the back of my head right on my... Uh, oh no, the mail slot. Right in the mail slot. What's the mail slot? How do you say that? Well, most biofield tuners I know when they get their when they they get the the intuition, the info comes in. Yeah. It comes in through the back like the top of the spine base of the neck spot right here. So, I got hit just above the occiput. I got hit right there. Ooh. Right on that line. Yeah, I got nailed with a bar. Somebody jumped me. How dare them? Yeah. And so How long ago? When I was 16, but I was pretty much fluent in Spanish, and then I lost it. I couldn't even speak English for like eight months. I was slurring my S's. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That year for me, my sports were really down. Like I was an all-state guy as a sophomore, and then my junior year I had a really down year. But back then, nobody knew about concussions. 
And if they did know about it, I wasn't in the in the field of people that knew about it. But like, I feel like I have a retardation when it comes to hear, like, because I think I overhear, I hear so much that I just kind of go into overwhelm and shut down. Mm. So that part of me, I know there's scar tissue there. Like I've had MRIs done on it and seen the scar tissue there. I don't want to hold that. Like I'm not going to hold that as an excuse. I just know like. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm in, you heard me tisk tisking you like. <laughs> <laughs> in my, my head, I was like, but Tofu, we're talking about the everything's in your mind. No, I, right I understand. I'm just saying like, I literally, for me at this moment, I do feel like I have an energy. Uh, I only have, I only have so much energy that I can actually give to something. And I'm like, I'm gonna leave it to you or I'm gonna leave it to Dylan. I'm gonna leave it to the guys that are really into it. Cause for me, I'm not. Well, that's just life, you know? Yeah. You can't be, you can't master every field. But the upside of, like why, <laughs> why am I so into Dylan Sikosio's work? Why do I like his work so much? Why do I give, uh, platform to him as often as he wants to bring information to uh, the audience, you know? And apart from the fact that he's just become a really good friend of mine and he's one of the most like loyal and, uh, and good people that mm -hmm. I've ever formed a relationship with online, which that is absolutely true. Love that guy for tons of reasons, but his work, it shortcuts the process of knowing the the code, if you will, the code to the matrix. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what Seven Bomar called it when he, he wrote a similar work, but it was just, his version of it was just a bit too schizophrenic. And, uh, you know, he has spent years trying to bring that type of stuff forward in video format instead. And he mm -hmm. does a great job too, I like him a lot. But Dylan's work shortcuts the process by showing you like specific patterns in Sim like starting with symbolism and astrology mm. and then in later books going into the philology side of it so that you can it's there's actually not that many threads in terms of the pattern mm -hmm. the pattern is pretty basic the system is what he calls it mm -hmm. there's a system to priestcraft there's a system to language mm -hmm. and once you have enough of the keys to that pattern internalized then whatever you look at, you're just like, oh, I see it. I, I see this part of the pattern is expressed in this. So, what, so it's actually pretty simple, but it's like, it is like learning a language, but it's like learning the language of language. Which is great, because <clears throat> that's what I'm into. I don't want to teach people what to think. I want to teach them how to think. Yeah, and that's why I like his work. Even, you know, he and I don't have all the same perspective on on conclusions regarding things or like you know i might entertain ideas that he would be hesitant to because he, he likes to go for hard evidence or or no claim mm -hmm. which is respectable but that's uh that's what it is essentially that's what i call I, I say it's a shortcut but it's actually just teaching you how to how to think about these things or opening up your ability to interpret it for yourself and not need someone else to tell you what it means and then, like, it, that won't work for you, though. Like, his his work isn't going to give it to you completely. You have to you have to examine the pattern in the way that he shows it to you and then start, you know, pick up some books on esoteric subjects or mythology or, or 
whatever, and then let that be your practice round mm-hmm. to, you know, like this, books like this, you know, you, you want to get the old shit, like the origin of pagan idolatry from George Faber. <laughs> I think this book is probably, uh, probably a 1600s book. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, you know, and, and read what the, the thinkers were, t- you really want to read what thinkers were saying about these subjects in the age before movies and video games. Right. Because the Disneyfication of mythology has really started to like set a, set things apart from each other in a way and accentuate the cultural nuance or cultural differences between versions of a story that is essentially the same story. Mm-hmm. And that's all well and good, but then you get, that, that also generates the special boy mentality around whatever chosen cult that somebody might want to follow where you know, they're, they're all fine with you disputing the other people's cults or originality. But mm-hmm. as soon as you go to show them that like, hey, you're, the, the, Nor- the Norse runes are uh, actually Punic, mm-hmm. Punic as in Phoenician, then you know, all of a sudden that's like, for some people, meltdown status. Mm-hmm. But that's not hurting anyone's culture. That's what is always like, that's what the biggest pushback you get for doing this type of syncretism work to reveal the universal priestcraft system mm-hmm. is the pushback about, oh, you're just trying to make everybody the same or you just see the sun in everything. Mm-hmm. Everything's the sun, everything's the sun. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's multiple ways to interpret symbolism, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the everything is everything mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, I see the, I see the Northern pole symbolism and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a, a more, that's a more speculative thing. You know, I think it's there, but the solar symbolism is definitely there. But we're not challenging what, like, you know, is, <laughs> what's silly to me is how the pushback comes about the, the specialness of my culture is being challenged because of you showing how it's the same system. They from, took our gear. Yeah, but... <laughs> You know, is that really the cultural thing that you want to be identified with is the religious system or like, you know, is it the culture of being a good person, the culture of of how you grow your food or what type of animals you have husbandry with? Or People want to identify with their heroes. Everybody wants to externalize the authority. Yes. We were talking about this over dinner. Yes. And it's it's quite obvious if you challenge somebody's hero you're in a world of hurt with them they don't want their heroes to be challenged so i don't think it's culture i don't think people are attached to culture culture is a a a wonderful way of saying their hero worship thank you yeah you nailed it that's Mm -hmm. exactly it that's Mm -hmm. exactly it there goes my hero i love that song to this day get a good pump you play that, you know, good jam. You know that song, right? Did I yeah, know yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It must have. Been, I must have missed that when I was riding with you. It was between the Miley Cyrus. <laughs> well, I've never heard her, and my wife knows all because <laughs> I'm like I hear these women sing, and I'm like, is that a dude? Is that a, a woman? And Miley Cyrus sounds like she smokes a lot. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've only seen like. We don't a, need to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> She's yeah. busting you. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I'm so out of out of tune with what's going on. But so 
I want the throughput line with what you've seen because the way I've studied this stuff isn't through language. I studied it through statistics. So like my background, like I guess you would say like my most academic side of things was economics. And economics to me was like this incredible way of, of learning about consciousness. And I had the blessing of having some really cool professors that were like, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, things aren't the way you think they are. Alconomics. Yeah, 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 precisely. And I was friends with uh, Tracy. Tracy Twyman and like I loved her book, you know, Money Grows on the, the, the Tree of Knowledge. Yeah, that uh, book's incredible. Yeah. I just sent my copy to Homie Romy of the Rising from the Ashes podcast. I gotta, I gotta resurrect those podcasts I did with her. We did a bunch. She was really cool. I, I miss Tracy. She and I would nerd hard back in the day. But anyway. Yeah, I think I would have hit it off with her if I was. Uh, she would have she she really around. dug your work because she, she was hitting on things, you know, years back where she allowed, she allowed epiphany. You know, she would get just enough information and then she would write her fictional work in that, you know, liminal space between diehard research and then being a creative. That liminal space, she would have these insights. And I'd get like this crazy email from her being like, da-da-da-da-da-da, like, yes, let's talk about it. Like, <laughs> it was awesome. Cause I find like, uh, like we were talking earlier about being a manifesting generator. It's like that perfect combination of like, okay, I can be very resolute, read a book from somebody from 400 years ago, have the patience to read it, and then have the energy on the other side to be creative, you know, so the energy is now looping. And in that loop current, then you actually have that liminal space open and then bam, the creativity comes. I call it spontaneous genius. I think all genius is spontaneous. I totally agree. Uh, what I That's the reason I do that show occasionally, The Marvelous Demystifiers. That show is so good. Well, we break down the Marvel superhero movies. But I can't watch any of that stuff. That's fine. But my my <laughs> interest in it is how, regardless of like what you feel about superhero movies or the gravel that is Disney, the that many creative people working together to bring a project to life, it just invites things to seep through the veil. Definitely. Even the intentional programming that's going into it the reveals that will be in there are, you know, I, I'm often on the fence about like, is that in there on purpose or not? No, the one that is my favorite example that I've, I've used a few times before, but I want to give it now, is we covered the Avengers movie, the first Avengers movie. At the beginning of the movie, they have, you know, they're, they're showing this secret black ops government project where they're researching the, the cube. The Tesseract. The Tesseract, right? The four-dimensional mm -hmm. cube. And the name of the project, the secret government lab, is Project Pegasus. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, motherfucker, that's the Pegasus Square. Yeah, right the there. The constellation in the sky, the Pegasus Square, that is the, the entire reason why the Ark, in like the Ark narrative, Noah's Ark, mm -hmm. is said to be square. Or the entire reason, it's the entire reason why the, in the New Jerusalem in the Book of Revelation is described in, in the dimensions of a cube. It's mm -hmm. the Pegasus Square. So, like, 
they know they're they're winking to you right there. I feel like that that was my example of like, okay, that can't just be. Maybe it is. Maybe they just pulled the name Peg, Project Pegasus out of a hat to no. call it that. But I'm telling you, like, they are hip to astrotheology. Somebody that is producing that or, content. Or the energies that are sponsoring them are hip to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and it could be either one. The point is that you can still derive them. You can still pull the epiphanies out of the, the cr creation that came from that liminal space of so many minds in a network definitely generating because then you have an array yeah and just like any antenna array like the group the larger your array the, the further distance in time and space you can go yeah and most parts of that array are just thinking they're just doing one little piece in a compartmentalized way thinking i'm just going to try to make this look as cool as possible or like what would be the most mind-blowing thing and somehow through that mm -hmm. you get stuff like <laughs> <laughs> like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, uh, is that on purpose that it came out around Mother's Day in Taurus season and the initial, that like that initial Multiverse of Madness is mom and the whole plot is about uh, the Scarlet Witch becoming evil and, and going crazy because she wants to be a mom and she isn't a mom in this universe, but she is in a parallel universe. <laughs> you know, and like the whole thing is just a big Disney hit piece against moms. Uh -huh. <laughs> but... There's so many things that come through in the occult, synchromistic realm from those movies mm -hmm. that just flies right over people's heads. And it's fun to use them as an example of how people can get the symbolic literacy and practice their, practice their symbolic literacy on, on films like that. So I wanted to clarify earlier when I said I can't watch those movies. What I'm saying is I can't watch them after oh. I listen to you guys. So I did that with the uh, Moon Knight which I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was a pretty fun one. Yeah. It was interesting. The, the Moon Knight, because the, I think the, when the Marvelous Demystifier that you did for the first one of that Dude, we was like hard. three hours we went hard on, on the Moon first Knight. scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first scene was so full of stuff, dude. It was crazy. The, full, the first scene was just like astrotheology out the ass. It really I mean, was. Um, and that's another, that's another clue to, there's like a, an unwritten rule in occultism that the most energy in a harvest is the first fruit. And so that applies to decoding movies and TV shows that the very first thing they show you in an episode, but especially the very first thing they show you in the very first episode, it's going to carry some serious multi-layered gravy that is you were doing that with uh we were brought that up earlier uh twin peaks um the show twin peaks right oh man it's been forever since i watched that that one's a trip because it's moon Knight moon Knight's a six episode series with the episodes ranging from like 40 to 50 minutes yeah. and i think overall the amount of time it took us to 400 break, hours break it, to break it all down <laughs> we probably spent like What's three times six? Like 18, 18. hours. We probably spent like 18 hours at least. Uh, maybe like 16 to 18 hours on on a show that was less than six hours. So that's what I'm trying to say. It. it was pretty anticlimactic after <laughs> listening to you guys. Because I'm like, okay. It literally, yeah. like, I remember that first scene was only like, you know, a minute long. Maybe. <laughs> dense, though. 
It's dense. But your hour description of that one minute. <laughs> well, you know how it is. They flash something on a screen for, for 10 seconds, but in that screen are 10 minutes. In that 10 seconds are 10 minutes worth of things if you're going to describe it all verbally and what it all means. So, so let's. That's let's, a lot of fun. So, this is the thing, right? Okay. We started off with this with essentially saying mind. Okay. We're in our, the mind is in us, whatever. Yeah, and then maybe it's being. Being. You know, as, a, as the real floor of things. But the body is always in activity. So the body in in your mind, that still yes. fits in, in our whole, like, you know, the glossary of defined terms that we've established yeah, yeah. here. So mind for me is activity. So activity is happening. Isness is before activity. Isness sponsors activity. Without isness, you can't have action. You can't have vibration. So what my question to you is, because one of the traps that I had fallen into was actually kind of a dehumanizing trap coming from that perspective. I had that probably about 20 years ago where I got to this real deep state of stillness. Like I could get to like the primary, the, the first, I should call it the uh, primal vibration and then be prior to that. And then I'd come out of it and then I'd be like, all is mind. Like this is just, this is just vibration. Life is but a dream. And what was crazy was for me in a very weird way, the only way I could get there was through trust. Well, cause it's like a let, it, you have to let go of it all. I was being told by a nani, because you have the nani and the bhakti, you have the two paths. The heart path is the bhakti, which is devotion, and then you have nani, which is knowledge. It's gnosis. And in, the, in that tradition, you're either one or the other. And I was being groomed to be a nani. And I was a horrible nani. <laughs> but I could, I could tune into trust. I could rest in God. I could rest. And that's the only way, because if I activated the mind, I was just activating more activity. It was activation. It was like, ooh, I'm gonna figure this shit out. And then falling back and back and back and back. I'm definitely a non event, because like there are certain times where I have the epiphany and it's like the walls start going white and I'm like, oh, I'm beaming up. And then I have to like tone it down. Well, the epiphany- It comes from like some kind of knowledge or realization. So, it will bring it on. So what's crazy is I can have a retrocausal not nana moment, but it's always sponsored first by bhakti, devotion, like trust. Mm. So let's, another way I could phrase it is I've never, ever touched epiphany through mistrust. Well, that, yeah, that absolutely follows. Yeah. Yeah, and the... Uh, the real epiphany moment is like you 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 can't it, it only works it only has that punch of like that blooming blossoming huge effect if you are beyond questioning beyond hesitation you know beyond doubt if mm. it, it just it has to come and hit you with like full-fledged that's what it is moment mm -hmm. it can't be like you can't be looking at it sideways mm -hmm. 
So in that, we're talking about, you do these breakdowns of this media that's apparently out there. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. Allegedly it's out there. Allegedly out there. And you interact with other people that are apparently out there. And you, like you do, and then you read books from timelines that were apparently over there and back there. But you bring up this point that there's like this sorcerer code that's kind of a throughput line with all these things that's kind of saying, hey, your attention is the number one commodity in the universe. Just give me your attention. Would you say that's true? Would you say that's something that you've found in your like sorcerer code throughput? Who, who's asking for attention? Exactly. Exactly. Who am I? Where's the taco? <laughs> Neither of us have this sabotage right now. Yeah, um, I want to know more though, like what are you particularly asking about in terms of the, uh, the sorcerer code? So you brought it up earlier. You said you've investigated the stuff with Dylan. Oh, okay, like the priestcraft system. The priestcraft, excuse me, I used the wrong. The terminology sorcerer code is the priestcraft to me. Yeah, yeah, and sorcerer is such a loaded word, like it has all this negative connotation to it, but uh. it's such a cool word, because it's like the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in terms of, you know, what I, what I, think, the th what I think the throughput of that system might be mm -hmm. is... Uh, the question, the question of the linear linearity of it, you know, as a, an egregore or a thought form is a challenge, but there's, you brought up ISIS and I immediately was like, that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And which might, that, that might even sound a little crazy to people who are really indoctrinated into like the historical character of Jesus, which is fine. I don't care if people believe that it's all good, but <laughs> the mystical Jesus is so much more than that. It's uh, externally, like one level of it externally is the sun, uh, the son of God, the son, S-U-N, S-O-N, all that. Uh, and on the throne of the pole star, the north, which is an anagram for throne, that unmoved mover, everything moves around, but it is still. And then there are levels of, there, there are incarnations of the savior that, are before Jesus, because this is a repeating cyclical thing, they called this cycle at one point the Neros cycle. And it's always it had always been in dispute amongst the priesthood and, and different sects in different places and times, how long is the cycle between incarnations or avatars of the supreme being. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it's so like the, the flood mythology, Adam, Adam and Noah are both the same consciousness, mystically, mm -hmm. that is Jesus. They are different versions of him from different times, mm -hmm. where whatever version, whatever time, it's an incarnation that's there to, in some way, correct the course that humanity is on. Mm -hmm. And I think that this has always been retroactively applied to somebody that was thought of as a great man, as a way to... Uh, have a, a relatable people's hero, people's champion that 
that maybe even some people still living have memory of them, them existing. Like some of the older generations are like, I remember Alexander the Great. He was truly great. And <laughs> then the priests deify the guy. Mm-hmm. And then they say, through us, you know, we can give you his favor. And the people, the simple folk, they're like, well, I remember what it was like when we had that guy's favor. Uh, we, we were more wealthy. We were more, we were more abundant. Everything mm-hmm. was better. We had good slaves, whatever the case may be. So there's like a repeating cycle of applying this title of the, the firstborn of the first cause, the mm-hmm. born of a virgin. You know, even like one of the lesser known apocrypha scriptures even talks about mother's or Mary's mother, whose name was uh, Anna, I believe, mm-hmm. being impregnated by a serpent that crawled into her bed one day while she was like a toddler in one of the versions. It was very bizarre and hard to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. But then gives a virgin birth to Mary. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that had to be removed from the public-facing side of Christianity because it's too much of a remnant of the other versions of this cult where it was widely understood, like Kybel, uh, that her son Addis was also her husband, was also her. And that, like he becomes her as he castrates himself. <laughs> so my point being that like Jesus and Mary are depicted together because they, Jesus is Mary. Mm-hmm. They're, the, they're the same being. The, the father is the mother is the son. You know, like Eve is is Yahweh. If you take the letters Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, depending on how you transliterate them into English, you could get YHVH, YHWH, you know, the ones that we associate with Yahweh. You could get I E V E out of that. How do you how would you say that? Eve. Eve. Yeah. Eve. That's Eve. It means life. Mm-hmm. Which is isness, it's existence. And in the some of the Gnostic texts of the Nag Hammadi, Eve just explicitly says herself, the words of Eve, that she is the mother with of her own self, of you know, her father is her son, is her husband, mm-hmm. etc. So what's it, where there may be some truth to all this though that I have started to come around to lately and like to get us back to that high energy taco free moment is the question of, well, what would it be? Like, you know, let's just work with this doctrine of emanations that this priest system is built on Mm -hmm. and all the versions of it incorporate. That uh, from the stillness, from the center point, from the source, whatever the creator is, the Ein Sof, the the beyond the beyond, the infinite Mm -hmm. light, the light, the pleroma that is, all and in the combination of opposites becomes a something that is a void yet everything you know mm-hmm. that the first emanation what the first ripple the first movement of that stillness you could think of it as the first mind to individuate and emerge out of the pleroma of the all mm-hmm. you know and as a thought experiment there's two ways of looking at it. Either everything has just always been in this state of multiplicity and fractality and, and apparent division, or things came, um, 
you know, there was there's an in-breath and an out-breath to it, mm-hmm. like the Hindus talk about, mm-hmm. you know, with the day of Brahm. So if there is philosophical, you know, philosoph- philosophically speaking, if it was sound to think that from the all, from the still center point, the emanations begin to ripple out, and as they get further away, that those ripples become uh, weaker in weaker in energy and more separate feeling, mm-hmm. in a sense, less connected to God, if you will. You know that may even account for why uh, there were giants at one point, and now people are smaller. Mm-hmm. That as the rippling of there's entropy in physical and yeah. material physical systems. There's entropy. Yeah, exactly. There's entropy. That the same overall amount of energy is in the system, but it's divided in, amongst more and more units. Mm-hmm. You know, so all all of that explanation aside, you know, I, I begin to really question: Is there a is this idea of the firstborn of the first cause, which is what the title that they apply to different versions of this savior, mm-hmm. um, like pro, protogenos, like protogenitor, progenitor, mm-hmm. if you will. Prometheus, uh, Eros, lots of different names. If that is a real being, then, you know, what would that, if that's a real being, if that's a real mind out there, and it's a chicken or egg thing, like, are we creating that by our idea that, like, by our philosophy? <laughs> that's, so this that's is, question. this is what I wanted to talk to or you about. Or is it a real entity, you know? Is there really a first thing? So, I was uh, and what would it want? Like, what would its what would its in, intention be? And I put myself in its shoes as best as you can imagine. Something so incomprehensible, and to me, it would actually make sense that if there was one, if there was a first mind born out of the source, and then all these other ripples were emanating as further branches from it, like it's the trunk of the tree, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the tree of life, you know, mm-hmm. then. It probably would want to help other other ripples, other beings that are emanating from it, like as if they were its children. Yeah, you know, it would want to help them stay in flow and stay in coherence. Yes. And so, if that's the case, and if all other minds are branches stemming off of this one trunk, then it would be no no challenge at all for it to seed and spread a system of revelation, if you will, a system of symbolism, a system of language, a way of looking at the world, a certain framework to help you see the pattern in all things, Mm -hmm. or the pattern itself could be seeded by this thing, Mm -hmm. you know, in which case that gets us to the, that gets us to the, you know, the fact that Jesus is the Demiurge. And what now, not the Demiurge as in like the evil boogeyman is the reason why you're enslaved, that type of pop culture Gnosticism, but like, you know, in, in the in a lot of the writings, <laughs> you know, Jesus is there before the world is created. Yep. You know, so how could that be? Jesus is the possibly like whatever this being is, this isness, this first isness that emerges out of the no thingness. Yeah. I, you know, it's it's the one that it's the pattern. You know, it's the father. The father is the son. Yeah. You know, so like philosophically, um, I get behind that. I actually, you know, starting to get pretty into that <laughs> as an idea. I like that. But the thing is, it still, it still smacks of the idea of uh, externalized savior in a way. 
But when you really understand what I'm trying to lay down here, it's actually the deepest part of your mind or of your being that, you know, that has any form of identity or awareness or activity. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing deeper in yourself beyond that is the pure stillness. Right. So it's not out there anywhere. It's like the very, very core ring of your tree of life. It's Christ. It's in. It's only in there. <laughs> yes. So uh, hopefully that makes sense of how I'm explaining it all, but or where you wanted to go with this. But it's a so it's a could, wild ride. Because one thing I appreciate is you've kind of hit this thread a few times in the. I probably listened to about I would say eighty percent of your podcast. Really, even like old ones, old no, eighty eighty percent over the last two years. Okay, good. Don't go back older. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> no need. And a few times you were you were speaking with guests, and you inferred, and I'm gonna put it out there. I'm projecting in this point, but you inferred uh, that we are co-creating our future and past right now. Hmm. Like it's almost like a like we're incepting ourselves <laughs> in a way, and and a lot of what we might be thinking of, like the historical narratives that we we're given by other, we're finding over and over and over and over and over again being in the eleventh house <laughs> of Pisces right now. That like almost none of those narratives actually match what quote unquote evidence that we have the physical evidence the physical evidence now it could just be shenanigans it could just be this priest craft that has been rewriting history and on a very material level you know the grabbler wants what it wants and it wants to extort our energy from us blah 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 i think that's kind of well you you can you can say all that but then you also have to get behind the grabbler wall and, and recognize, what has the grabbler been offering me this whole time? A hero. <laughs> yeah, and what does that give me? That gives me the relief of feeling like I'm out, I'm floating in a void of infinite potential and uncertainty without a tether. Right. Which, guess what? We are. Yeah. That's always been the case. Yeah. We are on the wild frontier fringes of consciousness experiencing itself in ways that have never happened in manifestations that are brand new and novel. So in your cosmology, what gives purpose? Is there such a thing as purpose? I think, you know, you have to look at what's maybe in terms of purpose, you gotta look at what's foundational, fundamental. fundamental. My opinion, right? So. I, I keep it simple that the meaning of life is life. <laughs> mm. The meaning of, and, and remember, life is like synonymous with what words we would use to describe our source, mm-hmm. right? So uh, what, is, what does a creator do? It creates. Mm-hmm. And so if there was any meaning of life or purpose of life, it's really ultimate freedom to create and to exist. Mm-hmm. And within that, you know, that applies to everything that you might want to do that is not in, an infringement on someone else's ability to create or exist. And that's what I was going to bring up. That's morality, essentially. Yeah, so... 
morality, in my opinion, is intrinsic to uh, existence. Yes. And it, it's actually, it is, there is actually like a natural law to this place. To, yeah. To, I don't even want to even say this place, mm-hmm. to, to existence. Yes. You know, and there are mysteries about it, like, well, why do we exist in this form with these, with these patterns like with these five ha- fingers these, mm-hmm. these hands that's why i like guys like marty marty leads yeah because 14 14 <laughs> what what because <laughs> he'll sh- yeah he'll show you how transcendental math and number is encoded in your physical body and that's what i mean when i'm when i was saying about like this first cause firstborn uh original entity jesus demiurge has seeded this the construct with its pattern mm-hmm. so that anywhere you look at any given moment if you're actually looking thinking feeling hearing whatever tasting it will the, it will be self-evident that that pattern or that father is with you yes and like it's been really awesome to come to the, this realization as of what I've been describing to you because it's allowed me to reconcile why people, um, you know, what people get out of having the savior in their cosmology. Yeah. You know, but when we can talk more about the messiah and like why the savior should be internal and not external, sure. And I also think that it's pure gravel, the historical narrative of a living entity that is an avatar or an incarnation of what I'm talking about. I think what I'm talking about is way beyond physical incarnation. Okay, so let's... Or way pri- before, primary to. Let's, let's go into this. So, we're... If this is mind activity and it's in you or you're in it, however you want to say it, what is the priestcraft actually? So... <laughs> I think that it originates, this is all opinion, but I think it originates from people like me and Gabe and Dylan who sat around finding the syncretic uh, natural emergence of a pattern and documenting it. Mm -hmm. And look, basically like synchronicity sleuths, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's like the original purpose of of a, a priestcraft. No, I'm talking specifically about the priestcraft that created the Messiah. Yeah, that's a different thing. You know, and then that, man, I think they came from fucking Mars. <laughs> but you I think it's alien? I don't think Mars, <laughs> alien and Aryan, same word, mm-hmm. <laughs> LR switch. But I don't think it's Mars like the red planet that is you know, shown to us by NASA so and Mars. So aliens are Korean Aryans? Extraterrestrial as an extra land. Extra land. You know, I think that there are lands beyond, beyond the ice wall. Beyond the globe, beyond the sphere? Of course, there's like, you know, Mercury, Venus, you know, Mars. In our, in our solar system, you know, there's Jupiter and these very physical balls that- I are, can't, are, are I, don't, just, I don't understand in, you. In, <laughs> 
<laughs> what you're saying doesn't make sense. <laughs> for, you, for those of you out there, sorry, uh, you, you've come across two people that are in the flat earth cosmology, but we're apophatic about it. We're not saying I just that. know what it's not. I don't know exactly. what Exactly. Apophatic means you're a reductionist. You, you, you can say what something isn't more so than you can say what it is. And this is one of the best ways... It's the only way to come to truth. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the best ways to train your mind to be deductive mm. and to reduce, reduce the noise and, and gain on the signal. So, so you're saying extraterrestrial, so extra territory. Well, this opens up an entire other question, and I don't know if it's fair to everybody to get into that before we talk more about like what the priestcraft's purpose is with the Messiah up. Mm -hmm. But I do want to go here because I want to know, I want to have this conversation with you in particular, mm -hmm. like as somebody that understands electricity, the physics of it. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> You, you were joking before we came on and started recording earlier tonight about like, you know, that you wanted to get my cosmology. Yes. You know, on record. <laughs> and I'm not going to be explaining what I know as absolute fact or truth. And I'm open to any reason why you would dispute this idea. Okay. But I like this idea. And if I, if I could just snap my fingers and pick one that was and make it true... Currently, I think this is the version that I would want to be true because it feels the most cool, feels the most right. Awesome. Okay, so it is based on the idea of the electric universe and this realm being a type of self-contained alchemical battery, mm -hmm. right? The I really like to conceive of it in the egg shape. Right. As an egg, as a, a giant cell. Mm -hmm. And... You know, maybe even that this entire realm is one cell in the body of a being beyond our comprehension in terms of its size. Mm -hmm. I'm totally into that possibility. Right. You know, I think that <laughs> when you shrink down to the very small, you come out at the very big. You know, I think that there's like a weird Mobius loop to mm -hmm. dimension. When I say dimension, I don't mean like parallel universes. I mean dimension as in scales, of yes. reference point, where a dimension of scale, where at this we're at a dimension of scale right now, and then there's lots of in between liminal space as you shrink down or or get bigger, right? Mm -hmm. But definitely things have a self similar pattern across scale. So if this is an alchemical egg battery thing. Right, the sun and moon being cathode and anode and having something to do with generating or circulating the charge through this closed system. Mm -hmm. That in like I I see it as interesting to consider the possibility of the charge in the battery getting low over time. Yes. Because that's what happens to batteries. Yeah, that'd be the Kali Yuga. And exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we, there's reason that, to think that that's the case because you have winter, mm -hmm. you know, you have nighttime. So if you apply, if, if nighttime is the small cycle and winter is the big cycle, th and then the world ages would be the epic cycle. Right. And so it's perfectly, perfectly reasonable to think that that's possible. 
Definitely. You know, and, and like I think that's part of why this pattern, or the, that's an element of the whole pattern of nature, the fractal pattern of things coming from potentially, you know, <laughs> Jesus, Daddy, Demi, Demiurge, <laughs> that it's there so that we can understand our place in things mm-hmm. by looking at our version of it and then assuming, well, there must be a bigger and a smaller and a bigger than that and a smaller than that, mm-hmm. but that it would operate in the same order. You know, that's my act, that's math. There's order of operations to things. You put the pole in the hole and then you wait nine months and then you have new life and then that baby becomes a child and that becomes a man and that becomes an old person, mm-hmm. you know. And <laughs> so getting back to the whole cosmology of it, uh, you're, you have an aqua cure, right? You have George Wiseman's aqua cure? I have one of his competitors' oh, machines. How, how dare you? <laughs> well, good though. But I, I understand how it works, yes. Okay, so the AquaCure is this device that does electrolysis yes. to generate hydrogen and bubble it through water, giving you electrically available hydrogen to drink or to inhale. Mm-hmm. And in the process of this electrolysis, the AquaCure creates a sludge mm-hmm. in, internally to the machine. And the sludge seems to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't anything that was present in the water that went in. Mm-hmm. The componentry of the sludge, like in terms of the molecular makeup of it, is actually the same uh, the same elemental ratios as the stainless steel plates that are used internally in the device to create the electrolysis. Mm-hmm. So George has done experiments where he's weighed the sludge that's come out of a machine and then weighed the plates, and the plates, the stainless steel plates lost no weight. Right. But he had like a, a measurable weight of sludge that came out of it. Right. And obviously, stainless steel in that density, or, or sludge that is made up of the same molecules as stainless steel, is not just hanging out in the atmosphere, somehow being sucked into the device and congealed no. into sludge. So it's a big, it's a big clue. Yes. That machine, is a huge clue about what could possibly be going on here in the realm. Yes. That, okay, so electrolysis is something that you can use to recharge a battery. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> so when God plugs us in, <laughs> or whenever the, the great reset needs to occur, mm-hmm. um, when the, the battery is low, the Kali Yuga, what have you, to me, it, it makes sense and it is very possible because the method, okay, so the mythos of the flood is not just Noah and his ark. There were, uh, allegedly there's a cycle and it's on a schedule that a flood will happen every certain increment of years. Mm-hmm. How often? That's a, another thing that's disputed amongst the various branches of the priesthood over the eons. but. You know, the Oralinda, for example, talks about more than one flood, which to me was one of the reasons why I found it interesting and I plan to cover it more in mm-hmm. the future. So we also have the phenomenon of the mud flood. Right. And you and I were talking about as we were in downtown Springfield tonight where I live, how there's all this old red brick architecture yeah. in the downtown area and there's evidence of the mud flood in the sense that like the bottom floors of these buildings have partially 
buried windows and and bricked up doorways that yes. go to nowhere that just go to ground. There's an entire underground network of tunnels and buildings below this city for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so people are probably familiar enough with what I'm talking about with mud flood, generally speaking, that I can leave it there. But what I'm describing, you know, is beyond just our downtown area or your downtown area where you see that type of architectural bizarreness. Mm -hmm. Think of the mystery of Gebekli Tepe. Right. You know? The largest pyramid known. And it was completely buried. Right. Yeah. And everyone always asks, the question everyone always asks is, why would they bury that? And I'm thinking like, why would they bury that? (laughs) You know, maybe there was some natural process that buried it. Mm -hmm. And then that's not even accounting for the possibility of whatever this recharge event is potentially sending vibration into the ground, causing the liquefaction effect that would make things just sink into the dirt of their own accord. So for those of you out there that don't know, liquefaction is when the ground oscillates at a certain vibration. I should say it vibrates, it doesn't oscillate. But it vibrates to a point where denser materials drop and lighter materials rise. So you can have essentially something that's considered a solid become a fluid. And it's a fluid that is almost acting like quicksand. Anything that's denser above will drop into it. And there's like, if you have a chance to watch any of the videos from Christchurch, I think in 2010 or 11, New Zealand, where they had an earthquake and there were multiple videos of liquefaction of cars liquefaction of the ground but you see cars essentially drop in you see buildings drop i got to see it in costa rica in 2007 a couple liquefaction events in in my neighborhood and it was nuts because things that were very well built just end up being down in the ground (laughs) it's just like what just happened and so this is something that obviously has happened a bunch exactly so there's that effect and then the other thing about the AquaCure and similar devices is the potential for the generation of new water. Yes. So we have a known, a known effect that generates potentially new water and new earth. Yes. Because I know I've been calling it sludge with the AquaCure, but if the, if the plate in the device of the giant alchemical battery that is our realm is the earth itself, mm-hmm not a stainless steel plate, then, you know, and assuming that this electrolysis process will generate more of whatever it is that this, that is its medium, Mm -hmm. then new water and new earth could be, you know, when, for the metaphor, when God plugs it in, like the earth grows, you know? So here's a good, so I have a ton of experience when it comes to taking an old battery and reclaiming it. So batteries or capacitors work the same way in a lot of of respects. There's usually an electrolyte and there's plates in it. And over time, they call it electrons, but let's just say the energy density gets less and less and less and less because the energy from one side of the plate can't get to the other side of the plate. So, they found a way to actually reclaim 
batteries was to use something known as back EMF. And I had these units, I, I did this professionally for a while, where it was developed by a gentleman named John Bedini, but it's actually how nature does it. He just figured out exactly how nature does it. So it's electrical cavitation, essentially, is what he was creating. Because in nature, whenever you create a gap, like you create a flow of energy going in one direction, whether that flow of energy is water, whether it's air, whether it's a, a current of electricity, if you abruptly stop it, nature abhors a vacuum. It's like it, it, it is a, essentially an axiomatic thing in this hologram. Hmm. You stop or truncate the flow of anything, that gap that occurs is immediately filled. Yeah, there's the, the suction is, is violent. Right. And the thing is, is in nature, that, that implosive energy, that collapse that occurs trying to fill that gap. Because the signal, the way you could look at it is this, you're signaling, you're sending a signal, and then you truncate the signal. Well, your surroundings are like, no, 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 there's supposed to be a signal there, and it fills it. You, you've, already, you've already intimated that this is doing this, and now you stop it? No. And so with the whole weight of the mind, let's just say the entire mind collapses to fill that information gap right there. That's the way I look at nature abhors a vacuum. It's the mind collapsing. Wait, there's a lack of, of vibration. There's a lack of information. Boom. The, you get a collapse. And in that collapse, you get new earth. You get new water. You get more electricity because mind or energy is primary, material is secondary. It's always the secondary effect to the more subtle energies. And so with electricity, electricity is this fun thing that we play with, these fields that I we- I think it has to do with uh, the, the fear, like the primal, you can look at it as fear or love, but like either the fear of non-existence so like, oh, no, 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 not void. Nah, -uh, we can't have that. Or the love of expression and, you know, filling every bit of the white of the canvas with some kind of color and design. I don't think it's fear at all because if you think about it, in now we're getting super abstract. In materiality, in phenomenon, we're in the field of phenomenon. Phenomenon. Phenomenon, baby. Yeah. So in phenomenon, hey man, let's keep the party going. That's what I'm saying. I think it's the love side too. Yeah. But you know, with these things, you could look at it either way, the motivation. Yeah. yeah. Oddly enough. But okay, to continue, I'm glad you had so much to back up what I was saying and please extrapolate on anything that I add to this. But yes. you know, what we're talking about may describe this greater cycle of golden, silver, mm -hmm. bronze, iron ages, right. and the event that seems to bury stuff mm -hmm. that occur that accompanies the the end of the end of a fallen the last part of the age, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's just baked in to keeping this wheel turning. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing I liked about the Orlinda is that they call the supreme deity or the the source and originator of all existence, which they call Ralda. They describe it as a a wheel mm-hmm. that continues to turn no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the only and I also like I also like that because you know basically it says that the only the only life that's actually being lived is Ralda's life or is the supreme being's life. Mm-hmm. Everything else is an emergence of phenomena that come and go as the, that wheel turns. Mm-hmm. You know, and another element of the priest system is that in the, like why this dog, doctrine or dogma of the world ages and the destruction and regeneration is necessary is because the, it would be a mis, it would mean God made a mistake if something emerged into the world of phenomenon and then went away and never came back. Mm-hmm. So the belief is that like everything that has ever happened, including us sitting here having this conversation, in a future age will happen exactly like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because otherwise it would be imperfect or a mistake. And, you know, and I've had experiences... Um, I don't actually believe that because some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen... I'm not saying I believe it either. I'm saying that this is a this is a subsect of the the priest dogma. Not probably all of them would agree with this, but this is something that's believed. And, uh, I, and okay. my my interpretation on that is that uh, if <laughs> if there are some out there that believe that, it would make sense as to informing why some beings choose to accelerate the path of destruction for the whole world. Yeah. The idea being maybe like they think they're saving the world by destroying it because if they undo it all, then it will eventually it will be it'll fast forward the regeneration, and it'll bring back what was lost up to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, so burn it down to rebuild it type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. That there's <laughs> uniqueness and novelty is actually the true and obvious self-evident fingerprint of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's. 10 trillion oak trees in the world, but show me two that are identical in the way that their branches and leaves have grown. Mm-mm. Nuh-uh. Every single one is unique. Yeah. And that, so that's, <laughs> I don't know how you can look at a world where everything that is, is perfectly unique uh, and think that, yeah, it's all going to happen exactly like this again. <laughs> no. no be- well, otherwise, God made a mistake. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like that, to me, that's not logical. And that's what I also what I like about philosophy and what gets lost in religion is how philosophy is meant to be you using logic and reason to deduce things that maybe you know that you can potentially work with as axioms or or fundamentals of truth based on whether or not there's evidence in the natural world that supports that as a pat, part of the pattern. Mm. You know, and that's not how it operates for religion nowadays. Mm-mm. But, you know, that's what makes it fun. That's why I like biofield tuning as well. Like, one of the reasons that I keep going back to, you know, I'll keep offering sessions to clients to tune up their energy field is because every client, every session is like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to solve a mystery. Yeah. Like, how did this get like this? <laughs> you know? And and that's so much fun. It's so rewarding mm-hmm. that every time I'm like, okay, new puzzle. What's the next one? It's like next level. It's like a game, you mm-hmm. know? So I love that about it. We're getting a little off base, though. 
it, you know, you wanted my my big grand cosmology, right? Well, yeah, there's a few things that, that you're touching. Like there was a little taco that slipped in there that kind of maneuvered us off, off course here. Because you were going somewhere with the electric analogy. You were, you were just about to go down the electric universe analogy. You were talking about this new creation and sort of this being like the alchemical battery cell. We kind of live in the alchemical battery cell. Did you fully explain that aspect of what you were trying to? Well, the, I think there's more to it. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if we go along with this thought experiment, then, and we think about what we can see in the world, what is the North Pole? What is the South Pole? And the North Pole, you know, like what I, what I enjoy as a cosmology possibility is that, you know, because there's one, what stands out in the heavens? You know, what sets itself apart is different in the, in the sky. It doesn't move, the North Pole. No, okay, but beyond, okay, that's true. But like beyond the North Pole, beyond the sun and the moon, what's the outlier in terms of the little dots of light in the sky? The wandering stars, the luminaries that, are the, that aren't part of the bigger pattern. Yeah, what we call planets. Right. Right. And they have a cyclical pattern, but it's more tricky. Right. And it's more complicated. Right. Okay. So what if, what if this electrolysis recharge reset event causing new earth and new water to be generated what if that in a way you know pushes the land out from a center point mm -hmm. you know what if there's a point where this is all emerging out of mm -hmm. and what that would uh make sense if that was the center and maybe what if <laughs> what if what is generating that uh, energy is something dividing, like mitosis, mm -hmm. you know, like a cellular division, mm -hmm. right? Or multiplication. It's not division. Nature doesn't divide, it only multiplies, right? Division is a complete construct and an abstraction that has no basis in reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, think about that one. Mm -hmm. Division is fake news. <laughs> it's only multiplication and addition and subtraction. Fake math news. Yeah. But the... So, okay, if the North Pole, the center point, new earth and water emerges from there, you know, what if, what if the reason why we can't go to the North Pole is because it's a highly charged, hydrogenated, electrified atmosphere where life and consciousness is so powerful that anybody that went there would be, you know, beyond, transcend beyond the limitations that are going on in our world right now based on the controller's whims that are, you know, managing the North Pole. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of what-ifs. That was a big run-on But that, that's actually the cosmology of people that had mastered, for lack of a better term, physics. Like, you can only get to a place if you're in a resonant frequency with it. Frequency is location. Exactly. Yeah. So think about it. I'll speak for myself. I'm not at a resonant frequency to be able to handle that amplitude of energy. Yeah, because it's the you can think of the North Pole as the spine of the world. You know, if it's the if North is the center, then 
and you know the pole star being at the top, you can imagine that as like a column of energy, the way the spine in your body right. contains the chakras. Like you're you're at exactly where you can handle. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's true in, in all levels. Yeah, like in my, all things. Like my grandfather used to test people for these like very fast jets. He used to test jet pilots, and they would look at the genetics of it and all this stuff. And he was emphatic, like this genetic type can't handle, you know, above Mach 2. They just can't. Just, that's just the way it is. And then the, and then epigenetics suggests how that based on your level of coherence and belief systems, that the, the genes can change what they're doing. Absolutely. And this is the whole, you know, path of Raja yoga. This is like my teachers in yoga were Raja yogis. And that was the path of, of actual developing siddhas or siddhis. And that whole thing was an epigenetic, like the, you go into it knowing that your body in this day and age in the Kali Yuga, it has its limitations, but that's, it's just the physical aspect of yourself. Your mind, your, your sentience is so much greater than that. And then you would just work on the discipline of focus. And that discipline of focus is actually what brought to you power because focus and power are the same thing. And so- Yeah, think of what happens when you focus a sunbeam through a magnifying lens into a single point. Exactly. It becomes yeah. very powerful. And the strongest energies that we know of right now, at least that are in the public domain are called point source energy flows. That's literally what they are. It's point source energy. Like if you look at what a laser is, it's a point source energy. Yeah, so think again about the, the North Pole, the pole star. Exactly. So would you have, in your analogy, if you had this column, this spine of Mount just- Mount Maru. Mount yeah. Maru, exactly. You know, the, the black magnetic, you know, center mountain of energy because anything that would be of enormity could be said symbolically as like a mountain like a huge mountain yeah and this the world center world axis is usually depicted as a mountain or a tree but right. it's, a, it's the trunk of the tree is another way to conceive of it yeah yeah and i think in that place being that close to the center that you would have instead of a day and night cycle and duality that would be like the point of alchemical wedding between the mm. two, if you will. So think of it as what we consider the luminary mercury. You know, what if it is a simultaneous sun and moon for the realm, the northern realm? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's a lot of problems with that idea. Like the way that Mercury seems to follow our sun mm -hmm. around. So maybe that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you would need astronomy to, uh, to back up what I'm saying with that. But that, that idea is like, the rest of this idea is not predicated on that part being accurate, right? I wanna, I, I But the next, the thing is, if there's a ring land at the North Pole, then beyond the South, which is not a pole, but beyond the ice wall the ring. that is Antarctica, you know, what if there's a land 
that is further out than that that got pushed out when the last one of these cycles occurred and the Earth grew. In which case, they're further from the source, which would make any life forms at that realm be more aggressively predatory in a way. You know what I mean? Like, because that's sort of the nature of the nature of uh, scarcity systems brings in brings out predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. Scarcity and pred predators and victims is like related to energetic scarcity. And I think, you know, like leaving aside whether or not it's even possible that the luminary we call Mercury could be the simultaneous sun and moon or just single light point source for the northern realm. Uh, leaving that aside, because like they don't both have this doesn't have to be accurate for both things. I think it's really interesting to consider a ringland beyond ours where their um, their sun is the the luminary we call Mars, mm -hmm. and their moon is the luminary we call Venus, because Venus actually does a phasing pattern the way that our Luna does. Why is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, and so if, and this is all circling back around to what you asked about, like the priest, the, the parasitic priest class. Mm -hmm. And I think, I like to think, I'm not saying I know this, but I think it's really interesting to consider what if that, what if <laughs> the Jews, <laughs> you know, not like all people who identify with Judaism, but like the crypto Jews, the cryptocracy, the... Mm -hmm. The holy sailors, the, the grabbler, the grabbler, yeah. And what if the grabbler actually originates? You know, the chosen special boys actually originate from a ring, the ringland outside or beyond ours, and that that uh, is informing their bio their biology in a way that their behavior is based on. You know, mm. is that why they clip the tip, <laughs> the ring, the ring of honor? <laughs> And then, you know, following this thought experiment further, you could even consider possibly a further out uh, ring from that where maybe the moon is Saturn and the, the sun is Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Especially understanding that um, Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, these things were all names for the sun at one point. Right. So it was Mercury. So that's, that's, I'm not saying that that cosmology is true or doesn't have holes in it or that it couldn't be approved upon, but that's the most fun one to me. I right. find that one to be really fun and interesting. And there's like things about it that just resonate with me and it's always stuck with me, especially later on when I learned about the electrolysis, new water and sludge. And I was like, oh, oh, there's even a, there's even a mechanism in physics that we can replicate with machinery to, to, you know, explain the expanding ring pattern nature of our, our potentially of our realm. So this is a lot of fun, okay? Because have, have you ever heard of what scalar north is? No, scalar north, no. Yeah, yeah. So whenever you take two magnets, let's see, let me use this. Can I use this as an example? Be gentle, it's old. Okay. Charlie Bug Bubs Bear gave me that at Bertaria. It's an 1840 Greek New Testament. Oh, that's wonderful. It's an ancient Greek. And check out Jesus is on an anchor instead of a cross. What? Yeah. And is that a crescent moon at the bottom? The, this is a crescent moon with G uh, Isis, I mean Mary, and Jesus on the back. Yeah. 1840s 
Greek Bible in ancient Greek alphabet, not the modern. But that Greek. was only two. That was only two hundred years ago. It's not like I know they, that's pretty different even, symbolism. It's not even like things change that much in two hundred years. Well, that's why I think uh, we've got a lot of we got a lot of. I think the mistake. Lucy, got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> I think it's around <laughs> that time. I think it's around 1850 that... Um, I'm in total agreement. ...that things started to get all mixed up. Oh, my goodness. I think up till about then, people had a better idea of what had really happened in the past. I, I, I'm in a total agreement with you. So getting back to scalar north, say okay. this is a north pole on a magnet. Say these are both magnets. And the, the binding right here in the book is north pole, and this is north pole. If you press them together, then you get scalar north would be above them. If you put two norths together? Yeah. You but get, doesn't that take a lot of energy to put the two norths together? So check this out. It does in this analogy, right? But one of the things that drew me to flat earth so much was if you do the same thing with a ring magnet, if this is radially centered, where the outside is the south and the inside is north, dead center above becomes scalar north. Wow. That's exactly where Polaris would be. So I worked for, for 10 years on a water purification system with radially centered ring magnets. I poured all, every extra dollar I had into buying magnets, having engineers make radially centered ring magnets because there's a really fun thing that happens when you send water through a magnet that's radially centered. And the scalar north, if this is in a highly, well, it doesn't even have to be highly charged. If this is in a static field, scalar north illuminates. Whoa. That becomes the center of plasma. That's our pole star. You think it's a plasma ball? It's a plasma ball. Especially like, cause I really love, I don't know what we're in, but it makes sense. Like I've interviewed people that have gone to the, to the South Pole, like run expeditions yearly, like over and over and over and over again. With what they explain, they're only allowed to go to two places. They're never allowed to go more than two kilometers inland. And they, when they do go inland, they have to be with a military escort. And usually those trips get cut short. And they're only allowed to go in for two hours. Like, what can you do? And then the boat that they're on, the boat that they charter, is always has a military, has military personnel on it. Yeah, and good luck going to the North Pole. Right. Nobody's going there. So I know, I mean, if we've been lied to about our history, the map, we've been lied to about with the maps. Just in my lifetime, seeing how big Cuba has gotten relative to Florida, seeing how South America is actually Southeast America, yeah. <laughs> like all these changes to the maps and like nobody wants to talk Mandelu. about it. Yeah. Mandelu. Like, dude, I just think it's just, you know, this, this priestcraft you know, people, I think a lot of times they're gauging and just to see like, okay, who's paying attention? What can we actually get away with? What can we actually just put in the public domain and see 
who's going to run with it? Like, who is going to always appeal to authority? Because who's going to share pictures of Hunter Biden's dick? <laughs> <laughs> because to me, like, literally, I mean, as a kid, I mapped hurricanes with my father growing up in South Florida. Cuba was like this big. On the map. On the map. Yeah. Now Cuba, when you look at it, it's like the Cuba is almost touching the Yucatan Peninsula. When I was a kid, you had Florida like this, and then you had Cuba like down here like this. I remember. Yeah, the Bahamas over and here. South America was like centered under the North America. South America is down here. And then, because I remember even, I had so many friends that were Venezuelan and Colombian. And when they would fly from Florida, they were flying southwest. Now you're flying due south. And you all hit, like from Florida, you essentially hit Colombia, the Colombia-Venezuela border. Mind-blowing. And the, and the Panama Canal wasn't a north-south canal when mm. I was growing up. It was east-west. So what do you think is going on with that? Well, one, I think this is what this is the real thing I wanted to get to you. This is the thing that you've alluded to in the past is like, is because I think this is much more of a malleable existence than we think. Yeah. Like, I really think our consciousness really is kind of making this whole thing go. Yeah, it's a giant dream. And it's all right now. The only thing is the right now part. It's right now. Yeah. You ever heard of psychic archaeology? No. It's basically where people only find the type of artifacts and things. You're, yes, that, you told me about this with your dad, with, right? That fit what they think should be there. And there's that element to it. And so like once a new discovery or a new theory is made about like some ancient culture that has archaeologists looking into it, then all of a sudden artifacts start showing up that support that idea or that perspective. So there's two possibilities. There's a possibility that the past is, is just as malleable from the present moment as the future is, or there's the possibility that <laughs> that's forgers come up with ideas that fit what everyone think they should find because they're forging. Or there's both things happening parallel to each other. I think there's both, but I think there is credence to the first more so than the second. Well, I think that, I, I don't know about more so, but there's, I think there's credence to the first, for sure. Dude, c come on. Like, let's, so, there are, and I, I always. Just, the, the field of archaeology is, is so notoriously rife with forgery and fakery that, you know, because think of the frustration of going, like, especially in the late 1800s, early 19th century is where it got really, really ugly mm -hmm. uh, in terms of people faking discoveries. Mm -hmm. I mean, dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing, you know, mm -hmm. that it, that, that's so big. How many people had to intentionally fake something, you and, know? And just ride the gravy train. And just ride the gravy train. It's It's, it's sort of like w with, you know, the Baca. Uh, Baca? He, yeah, the, va the vacuna vaccine. Oh, oh, cowpoke. Yeah. Cowpoke. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to Costa Rica tomorrow, so my mind's on Spanish. So, there are so many people who know it's fake, but they're riding the gravy train. Yeah. And history will ride it as if it was real. Yeah, yeah. 
And then there's the element of psychic archaeology is just somebody able to intuit where they're going to find something. I'm going one step That's further. What my dad's got. Did you find any treasure with I, the? I the haven't looked detector? yet. I haven't looked yet. Okay. I'm going one step further. Did the person actually create it with their mind? So we were talking earlier about. Well, that. there's definitely cities that uh, have been demonstrated by holy men oh. where they can like apparate coins into their hands. I've you know, seen it. I've seen it on a physical level. I've seen it uh, with people healing things like through their ancestral line. How is that possible unless this time that we're actually present in? is actually the the center of the wheel, you know, the six-pointed wheel that you're talking about in the Oralinda. That is us. We are the wheel. <laughs> and it goes backward, forward. It goes in all directions. It actually does look like an egg because the male counterpart's on top. The, the lancet arch part of the egg is vertical and the mother is horizontal. That's the egg. And so it's all one. <laughs> and we're in the wheel. Our heart is actually the, 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 the pure center. The edge of the wheel is the horizon. And we have these inputs from other aspects, other wheels. But all the wheels are a wheel within a wheel within a wheel. And these aspects, we play off each other, and then there's this epiphany that goes on, and this excitement, and then we are made in the image and likeness of the creator. Boom, creation. Oh, I just ended up finding this book that corresponds to this feeling that came, you know, dude, I really think there's an aspect of that. Like the time that me and my roommate in college really needed a new grinder for our weed, but we didn't have any money, but we decided to just go walk to the weed store to check them out. And on the way there, we found $20 on the sidewalk, which is exactly how much we needed to get a good grinder. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but I mean, that's a true story, you know? That you get really into the philosophical implications of it, because I always go, like God, like, God gives me my desires. Yeah, yeah. That's why I really like the, the book, The NeverEnding Story. Because the theme of that book is that be careful what you wish for, because mm. everything you wish for will come true. Right. This is the realm where wishes come true. Right. But the more that you wish for things that are not what you truly want or aligned with who you truly are, as those wishes come true, the more distance, difficulty, and pain there is between you and knowing yourself. Absolutely. To the point where, you know, and that's why I think some of these people who wished for ultimate power, ultimate status, ultimate fame, and got there have gotten so off track from their spirit. And this gets back because to... Because they, they wish for things that aren't really them, that aren't really their true desire. And I think that's what we should end on because that's actually where we started is the authentic self. Like the true authentic, like who am I? Like this, this aspect of us where... We apparently have the outside inputs and we then give authority. We externalize authority. We idolize like, you know, there's reasons why, you know, those those first 10 commandments actually have a lot of power 
is because like the second you idolize or you externalize an authority out there, you're away from the center, you're away from home. Then you start doing things and you start pretending to be something that you're not. And like you said- Away you, from home is a good way of putting it because like people in that state literally spend eight to 10 hours a day, five to six days a week, not at home. Right. And like what we all really want is to be most of the time at home with our families, with right. our wives, our children, our husbands. Right. And you know, not that we don't want to be productive and crush and like make great things, but the, the, the major heartache of the world is that feeling of distance and separation from that which they love the most or that which brings them the most joy and coherence or like that which they're hopes and dreams are invested in their, their kids. So and this gets back to what you're talking about. why our lives are so good is we actually get to spend our life with our, our wives. Yes. <laughs> We're actually together m most of the day all day. Yes, absolutely. We're like, you know, in each other's vicinity. It's not like we need to be all attached at the hip and like clingy, but to just be able to d float into the room where the other one is at and be like, there you are, right where I left you. And like not have all this you know, away from the center, away from home. I just like how you put that because it's, it, it manifests in a literal sense for the, for people where they get, you know, they have to spend all this time somewhere that's not home, that doesn't feel good to be there. Mm -hmm. And then you, getting back to like the larger macro side of it, like you're talking about if this realm that we're in, this, 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 plane of inertia that we're on actually expands out from the center. And you could say center is our highest capacitance self, our, our highest uh, resonant frequency with the pure creator. And then those that are out on the perimeter that are pushed out to the perimeter, pushed away from home, that feeling of separation end up being predatory. That actually fits that. Yeah, that, that fits that model. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like that model because there's things about it that just have this fractal resonance of truth to it. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely open to working the model and improving it, but I like it a lot. Uh, I also want to put out there that, you know, the closer you get to center, the cl the more all of the the multiplicity collapses down into singularity right mm -hmm. so I, I i'm saying this because i don't want people to feel like they're listening there's something wrong with me that i'm you know i'm not in the pure center mm -hmm. actually it's like where, wherever you're at right now you're there because this is what is most fun and interesting and exciting to you mm -hmm. <laughs> even if you can't quite see why that is or yeah. it's leading you to what is most fun interesting and exciting so my point being like, embrace the, embrace the place of, of whatever level of separation and difference you find yourself. That's so good because- Because there's like, there's, you know, collapsing down into pure stillness and singularity. Uh, I think the reason we don't just hang out there eternally is because the, the story isn't complex and novel enough mm. to, for, you know, our eternity. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why we have to have this sine wave of, of ages mm -hmm. so that we can experience the rising action, the climax, and the falling action. Yeah. And which we is a storytelling. I, I mean, I've been humbled by life, and I know that I don't know what's best for me. <laughs> and this is the beautiful thing about 
trust. Like, I know God knows what's best for me. And every time I've had the capacity to trust that and really let go, because I think I know what's best for me, but I've seen two things define my life more than anything. One is outlying events, like pure surprises. Things I never saw coming have completely shaped my life. Then I read, I read Nassim Tlaib's book, Black Swan. And that whole book is about how society is absolutely shaped by Black Swan events. You know, like 9-11. Today we're recording this on 9-11. Yeah, happy 9-11, everybody. Yeah, 9-11 is a Black Swan event. None of us saw it coming, but yet it changed everything after that. I tuned a guy that had 9-11 in his field pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. And uh, as we were working through that, he was telling me about how he actually, like he felt it coming. Oh, really? I think he was in New York or New Jersey or something. Uh-huh. So he, like, he had proximity to where it was going to happen. But there are, I know most of us didn't see it coming. But like there is, animals detect the earthquake about to occur. Oh, you know I, what I mean, like, so I think people had, I think some people had, were, were feeling the winds change before it happened. But I, I, you know, nobody, nobody saw it coming. I'm not disputing that. But it's just interesting how, again, back to that retro causality thing. Uh-huh. It's like. The stone fell in the pond before the ripples got to where you're at in the pond. Right. You know, so some people heard the kerplunk. Yeah. They're like, what was that? And then the ripple gets to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of saying it. What I'm saying is with an outlier event, and this is what the way Nassim Tlaib put it, is that an outlier event, all the details of life change. You might have had a premonition that such and such was going to happen, but you had no idea that now you had to go through TSA, that you have to- Get a hand up your butt. Yeah, all these things. These outlier events occur and it's just like, oh, things are different now. At least from an externalized perspective, they're different. And so between knowing that surprise is like completely, like I'm still writing this essay, it's like 12 years now of writing this essay (laughs) on surprises. like. Surprises are absolutely amazing because they're so humbling. Like, if I knew what was best for me, then I would know, okay, if I do this, then the best result would occur. It makes me think of the, the law of surprise. Have you heard of this? No. It's something that I, I believe it's a, an element of really old European folklore tradition. And it's played, it's, it's played with as a story, a story element in the Witcher books, mm-hmm. which are awesome books. Show is super gay. Some cool things about it, but the books are where it's at. In The Law of Surprise, this is something that when witchers are hired to slay a monster and the, ta- the folk that hired them don't have coin to pay the fee. Mm-hmm the witcher may invoke the law of surprise, which is when you return home, you will give me that which you find there but did not expect. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're leaving it up to like, what's best for me? I don't know. I don't know what to ask for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and I'm not taking something that they knew they had, taking something that they're not going to miss as much because they didn't know they had it. 
But also one of the reasons they do it is because sometimes they get a child that way. Yeah! Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the witchers are, are sterilized by their whole, like, alchemical mutations to make them supermen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way that they can get away with, like, you know, taking new children to train. But, yeah. but the idea, though, of, like, you know, imagine if that's how we asked each other for, for compensation. Give me that which you find at home but did not expect. I lived for three years, three years with no money, strictly going on a value for value thing. Yeah. That's all. And that, what, that's actually the moment in my life. It was during my Saturn return. And that's when I actually started to really trust. I saw the more that I let go of all my preconceptions and you would be provided for no matter what. No matter what. And even if you were fucking up. And I found myself on a living oceanside in Central America driving this G-Wagon, <laughs> <laughs> watching over this incredible estate, getting paid to do it. And it was literally like you could not be a, like you couldn't be just a normal millionaire to have that life. And I was just in it because I trusted and I was trustworthy. Yeah, and it just falls into you. You fall into it. it falls into your and, life. And so there, That's awesome. I want to hear more about that phase of your life sometime. Oh dude, when I lost every it. time we talk, I you know, there's more nuance to the Topher verse. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's very, very weird. It's like, rewarding uh, to to be a a regular listener to your stuff, whether you're appearing on things or interviewing. It's always fun. Well, dude, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad I've, I've gotten to know you at a deeper level. I love your podcast. It's it's one of three that I listen to every week. So I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And Thanks, man. Yours is one of the few on my rotation as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Where can people check out your stuff? I just want to say I think that being able to do this in person brought uh, a vibe to it yeah that was really cool i think it was your tea dude i think i think i think he slipped me a mickey in the, the tea blue lotus mickey <laughs> yeah thank you for that blue lotus kyle if you listen to this typical new herbs uh have you had him on i've 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 uh elicited i've many requests and you'll get him yeah he's he's like oh i'm always on this guy chances podcast and uh, i don't have enough time that's not true. No. <laughs> That's definitely not true. No, I have I have him and Mario coming on pretty soon here. They're they're in the queue. Nice. Mario's also a gentleman and a scholar. But yeah, people can find me at innerversepodcast.com. And from that website, there's a, a shop tab where you can find the sound healing offering too. Ooh. That's, you know, on a lot of times when I'm being interviewed on a show for the first time on that show, I like to really go deep into the mechanics of biofield anatomy and using sound and intention to clear stuck energy to improve our health. That being said, we didn't, you know, we didn't go into that in this conversation and that's just not the way of things, you know, with the Topher conversation anyway. <laughs> it meanders. Um, but why why I'm I'm saying that is because A, you know, if people want to find out more, they can go to the sound healing tab on my site and get some content there, some videos where I explain it in presentation form. And if they just know that they'd like to book with me, there's instructions there on how to do that. 
Um, but um, I want, you know, you're very, the, the bear community is very dialed into you. You know, mm-hmm. you've, you've made yourself uh, quite available to them and, you know, they see you as squirts inside himself bear, you're a legend. Do you know my new bear name? It's the best bear name ever. Hold on, let me see if I can guess. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Char Char Binks Bear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Char Char Binks. Did this chip off of my uh It just fell, it fell off. Nice. Uh, you yeah. know, maybe maybe we should find something to do with that. Nice. I w- I always look at it like when a, a crystal has like a, a flaking moment or a breaking moment, there's it's something letting go or being released. You know, there's a there's a release. But yeah, I want the bear community to know more about tuning because I want, you know, in the parallel society that they're building that <laughs> is emerging out of the bears, mm-hmm. the, I think a lot of them are always on the lookout for ways that they can bring value to each other. Yes. And ways that they can provide a service that will allow them to receive service, you know, and in, in, in all the trades that are possible. Yes. And so I think the bear community would be really well served by more of them learning about the biofield anatomy and how to to work with it in a like a professional way like I do but also just like there's so many parents out there that if they had a working knowledge of the biofield or just the the wisdom to have it as a reference mm-hmm. you know that when their kids get a you know hurt fall and hurt their knee Mm-hmm. That they can have the conversation with their son or daughter, you know, like why, what do you feel like is a challenge or an obstacle in your life right now that you're having trouble getting past or getting over, you know, mm-hmm. if they hurt their right knee, that there's a message in every part of our body and every injury or disease is a message from our body about where we're stuck mentally or emotionally. That's huge. And parents with that knowledge, A, you know, that's going to actually help you as a parent protect your children from ever having such um, earthquake type events in their life because of their own confusion or denial, the child, the child that they get seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I, tru- I truly think that like with this, uh, w- equipped with this knowledge, you will prevent, it's preventative medicine. Definitely. Because like, you, I'm sure you've noticed this, that when you're out of sync, out of flow in some way, First, you stub your toe, then you get into a, a small fender bender, just like, you know, scrape, scrape your car on someone else's car. Then your house burns down. Right. <laughs> you know, not in that order, but like things, when, whenever God has to start putting the pain on you mm-hmm. to help you break out of your denial, it comes in more and more severe vibrations. Definitely. And with the... Knowledge, it starts in the body, though. It's always a, got something going on related to it in the body. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of times the bigger vibrations that come aco- uh, cause bodily harm, injury, and death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm saying, though, that like if you parents out there knew about the biofield anatomy, how to, how to use tuning forks in, uh, uh, as well, you know, but just the knowledge of the anatomy of your energy field would be huge, then you can help your children understand the message their body is sending them whenever they're stuck in some way help you know based on how they they got hurt or what happened with them where they're stuck in some way and you can be their guide through that and mm-hmm. you know do you, you you recognize the gravity <laughs> you know of what i'm saying here like the importance of what i'm saying here how different 
this can make, how much this can improve parenting for people. Yeah, definitely. It's huge. So I want bears to know about it. So please come check out my site, learn about Battlefield Tuning, or just check out podcast episodes that you think look good for any gravy. And uh, I'll stop talking now, but it's been a really fun chat. Yes, and if you guys appreciate today's podcast, you know, I always say reciprocate if you appreciate at TopherHQ.com. Um, I'm going to have a store up pretty soon on the, there where I'm selling all of my different wares, all the good stuff. And uh, check out Chance's work whenever you get a chance. Hmm. <laughs> That's something kind of funny. And um, yeah, thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. You ought to know Oh now you You ought to know by now I hope you enjoyed Taco Tuesday with Chance Carton, our little swap cast, Interverse and Bio Charisma together. Yes. Lots of fun stuff, man. Own how you react to things. If you feel like you are reactionary, meaning there's no distance between a stimulus and how you respond, cultivate some sort of behavioral pattern. Cultivate a... Um, a practice that will give you distance. Um, for many years, I tried meditation and I, I think I was okay at it, but what actually has bred even more distance and has made me less reactionary is prayer, oddly enough. And um, because I am a devotional being, I love God and I love this creation and I honor God. Um, if you look at the mission statements of all my companies, it's in every single mission statement is, you know, we honor God by, you know, and that's the way I see life. And this particular podcast was really revealing some of the inner workings that happen when our ego is trying to survive. The ego is a shadow, essentially. It's the the shadow of separation and all shadows aren't really a thing. They're like the negation of light. They're like the absence of light and um, they're not really there. So the, <laughs> my wife and I have these wonderful philosophical discussions of like what this realm actually is. And um, this realm in a lot of ways is this, I guess you call it fairground for you to decide, you know, is it my will or thy will? And it's, it's really that. And the cool thing is, is thy will is always good. <laughs> I've alluded to this before with the work of Norberto Kepe, um, but he has a very interesting notion that evil is Evil occurs when a being starts to choose what isn't real. So that's really kind of funny because you have to ask the definition. You have to have the correct grammar of what is real. 
And when you look at the definition of real, real something that is real is something that is permanent. Well, there's nothing nothing in the temporal world that is permanent. Like by its very nature, it is temporal. And so this is a, an amazing thing is like when you when you understand that at a deep level, your emotional body will not be attached to things. Even if you have a stimulus that's like crazy strong, it doesn't mean that you have to navigate the waters from that stimulus. You can actually choose from your prefrontal cortex, from the being aspect of you, how how to go about something. And choose good <laughs> in any moment you, you do do what's right without fear of consequences you know there's no need to be reactionary and you know jump into practices that do that for you like exercise and prayer those two things uh are very humbling for me and i find that that gives me space so the trigger, <laughs> the the ability to trigger me is much less than what it had been in the past. So that's, you know, take it for whatever it's worth, whatever that is to you. For some people, that is meditation, yoga, uh, music. My wife, you know, if she gets to sing, she's, she's a totally different person. So we all have, we're all designed differently. We all have our own little things that give us that, but give yourself that in this holiday season. Um, things are going really well for the BioCharisma podcast and my construction businesses. Uh, I'm letting you guys know right now that I have, I am taking appointments for Celestic Profiles. That is your conception birth chart um, from a true sidereal perspective, which means real sky. And um, the, the more of them that I do, the more I see that uh, the Rosicrucians were definitely on to something. So, uh, you know, you never know until your environment reflects back to you whether or not uh, your your idea of things was legitimate. This is a legitimate thing. So I have those uh, that you can schedule. Uh, go ahead and email me at info at if you're interested in that. We have, I'm taking super chats, analog super chats. You can uh, go ahead and mail me at PO Box 402, Willow Springs, Missouri, 65793-0402. My name is Christopher Gardner. There's no E in the gardener. It's Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. And just to give you some examples of some super chats, Hopefully you guys caught my talks with Martin uh, Liebke. Uh, he and I have developed a fast friendship, but uh, look at this. Look at this, fascies. Uh, Odon33 sent this to me, and man, am I stoked. I got a couple experiments to go on. I totally dropped the ball on my last trip to Costa Rica. Um which by the way, that crushed my company down there is doing awesome. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and post a video, a wrap-up video of our what we built in 2023. Uh, so you guys can kind of see the handiwork in the tropics. My wife and I have decided that we are gonna build a dome on our property here. We're gonna use it as a rental property and I'm also gonna use it to train a local construction crew 
my system. Um, yeah, after seeing, I've seen probably about eight or nine different ways of building domes. And um, I think what I'm going to bring to market is is the best of all worlds, sort of a hybrid of a bunch of different systems. So we're going to experiment when the weather is good, which right now it is, you know, 37 degrees outside and with a 20 mile per hour wind. So this is not good cement weather, but we're going to work on that coming up when we do have some decent weather. If you guys hear this before Thanksgiving, um, have a great Thanksgiving with your families. And uh, I really look forward to hearing from you all through the chat. The chat's been blowing up. That's a t.me biocharisma chat. And uh, I will see you guys next week.